Welcome back to a podcast to save the Boundary Waters. Matthew and I are currently sitting in our snow trekker at our campsite on Duncan Lake, having a nice moment to just relax after a day of busy activities, chopping wood, organizing the campsite, and staying warm. One of my favorite ways to stay warm out here is just the, the grunt work. You know, you have to put your skis on and pull a sled just to go find a spot to harvest enough dead down cedar in this case and haul it all back. It's a great way to stay warm. Are you sweating out there? I definitely am. And while I'm out moving around, I do have to take off quite a few of my layers to the point where I'm down to just a fleece and a pair of my long johns. I'm getting so hot while doing all these activities. (laughs) A great point. And in case you recognize the voice, that's Maddie. We're bringing you back to winter camping. While we're sitting here huddled next to the stove, we've been reflecting on all the different ways to enjoy the winter. We're going to get into some of the safety stuff, but Maddie, let's talk about some micro adventures as a way of enjoying the wilderness. Do you have some favorites or some that you notice people really enjoy for winter micro adventures? Yeah. I personally enjoy getting out and just going for a short 30-minute cross-country ski after I get off from work. It's a good way to just get my body moving out in this winter landscape. But also, it's great to just go outside, do some snowshoeing when you have time, maybe go out and visit a little bit of the Boundary Waters, getting out on Moose Lake and visiting Scout Island, maybe even walking over to Wind Lake. That's one of my personal smaller adventures to do. But even just hiking around uh, wherever you can, I usually go out to Kawishui Falls. I don't need snowshoes or skis to get out there. It's just a good way to go experience Minnesota winter without having to go too deep or too crazy. All right, so we're not quite to the falls yet, but we made it to the little inlet of water. Um, Had to bushwhack a little bit because It does get a little slushy and the ice does get a little thin the closer you get to it, but someone conveniently already packed on a trail. Other thoughts? Yeah, it's fantastic that somebody broke trail here. I mean, it's just nothing but drifted snow and it's packed down a solid foot for us to walk on and hard packed. It's quite a trail to be going on, especially that section where we were bushwhacking through the woods on that trail that somebody already packed down for us. But yeah, I can't imagine if they were towing sleds or something behind them. <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty br- brutal if you were going to Rose Lake and had a sled behind you on this, I think. I don't know if you could have done that with a sled. It would have taken you like an hour to do what we just did. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so a little spicy adventure, but we're on the way there. All right, we made it to an overlook looking at Rose Lake, which is quite beautiful and snowy. Thoughts? Yeah, the Gunflint side, or rather the eastern side of the Boundary Waters is quite different from what I'm used to since I have typically guided out of Ely and the west side of the Boundary Waters. So it's particularly beautiful to see all these cliffs. Agreed, I'm a big Topo fan and uh because I chose not to consult a map, I was delighted to hear that I'm looking at Canada. <laughs> yes, we are currently looking at Canada right now, right on the border, on the border out trail. And uh, the weather's feeling pretty good. About to head back to camp. 
And that's the thing about this place and this community of people that enjoy it. You've got the big epic travelers, like we talked about in last episode, you know, the folks that really get it. I mean, you know, it's sort of the apex of Dave and Amy in the you know, year in the wilderness, but folks that go out for, they go deep and they go long. And none of us start that way. And most of us are very content with day trips in the wintertime and going back to our warm homes or beds or places to stay. As we start to progress, I think, Maddie, back to my progression, and I'd like to hear about yours too, but I lived up here, I think it was three, maybe four years before I ever came out overnight in the winter. I was very content skiing, groom ski trails. Uh, maybe maybe I'd snowshoe uh, out on the lake or ski out on the lake, occasionally bushwhacking on snowshoes. But always enjoyed coming back to my warm home and my bed. Um, and that was a really, I was very content with that for quite a long time. I have a similar origin story. I originally grew up in the mountains of Colorado, so I learned to ski, downhill skiing, at a very young age, but never spent the night out in the cold uh, where there was plenty of snow. It was always great to go back into the ski lodge if I was cold or to go back to my nice house when the day was over. And I feel as I've gotten older and more adventurous, I've been slightly stepping up my outdoor winter adventure game by getting a little more out of my comfort zone and trying things I might not have uh, a couple years ago. Maddie, a great example of this is Emily Ford. You may have heard of her because she acquired unexpected attention in March of 2021 when she became the first woman to complete Wisconsin's Ice Age Trail in winter. With somewhat limited experience, but an excess of motivation, she is now skiing across the Boundary Waters. I was like, huh, yeah, maybe we'll just like ski across the Boundary Waters. <laughs> I'm not a great skier. <laughs> I'll go on record saying that like, I didn't start, start skiing until like last year and I barely skied. I maybe got out twice last year. So I'm very new to this. <laughs> I mean, that will not be the case when you're done. Correct. I will be a much better skier when I'm done. Right. But the, I mean, I'm hearing you say that really it was your longing. Yeah. That incepted this. Oh yeah. Not, that kind of came from within. Yes. Uh, this year I'm trying not to meet as many people and really spend time out in the solitude and out in the silence. And the boundary waters, especially in the winter time, uh, it's kind of just that place. And again, you know, like when I talk about, when I talk about this upcoming trip to people, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to ski across the boundary waters. Or like, or like the B-dubs or like the BWCA. People are like, oh, okay, cool. And I'm like, when that's the response, I always go, do you know what that is? And a lot of people are like, no, I really don't know what that is. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> this is a beautiful expanse of acres upon acres of, you know, wild space. You know, like what? Yeah, yes, yes. Like you, you came and you, you can't even imagine how big it is. And um, I, I, you know, I want to experience that. You know, that's why. That's kind of what makes this trip funny. That like, 
I'm, I don't have these long season after season memories of being in the boundary waters. But like there's a weird calling from it to be like, we need to spend more time together. And I'm like, okay, I'll be there. I'll be there in February. <laughs> you know, I don't know what's going to happen when I'm out there, but, you know, I've only really, really ever been in it like, twice. But I know it's an important space. I just, I, I just know it is. You know what I mean? Like, even though I'm not like this huge paddler, like, I know we're not supposed to lose that space. Mostly because there's not really many other spaces like it, especially in the United States, you know. And as we step up our winter game, as you described, it's certainly not necessary to enjoy it. It takes all types to enjoy the winter. But for those who are seeking maybe something a little more immersive, it seems good to have a mentor, somebody who's done it, been there, and can kind of help mitigate some of the stress, kind of like we've been doing on this trip a little bit. A great example of that is Michelle Kwan. We're going to hear about how she has immersed herself into a more intense level of winter adventures with a predominant member of our Boundary Waters community. We'll let her share about that. I think when I go on these trips with Bear and Wendy, I just know that we're going to places where not a lot of people go, even Boundary Waters people. It's like not a lot of souls go in there in the winter. And if they do, it's like maybe one lake in, but they're out there for an entire month. And, um, and so just like being out there and, and feeling confident that like, okay, I have everything I need. I'm prepared. I have my map. I know which way I'm going. The worst that can happen is maybe I get a little bit lost. I'll ski a little bit further. Um, and if not, I brought a tarp. I'll be ready to camp on a portage. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But, you know, what, you know, as long as I'm prepared and I have my layers, I felt very confident about being out there. It was really comfortable. And, you know, that's the one thing that I never talk about is how cold it gets out there is because I tell everybody when you're hot camping, you never feel cold because it gets so hot in that tent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Both times I've gone up, um, they had already been there for a week or two or three. Mm -hmm. And so things are already set up, but it, it is required or not required, but it, there is an expectation that, you know, like we get to play one day. And then we work one day or like we play in the morning and then we do a little bit of work in the evening. And that just encompasses like, well, they've already found out where the wood is. We've, they've already hunted the wood. We just need to go up there, saw some wood, haul it down to camp and then split it and then get enough for at least the evening and then the morning. So that when we wake up, we get to wake up to a warm tent, you know, we get to set up the fire and everything and get ready for breakfast. And so there's always a little bit of work. And one of the things that I look, how I look at it is if I want to be warm, I need to have wood. And if I'm cold, I could make more wood 
and then I'll be warm again. And so to me, it's never been like, it's work and it's stressful. It's just like this idea of like, okay, I'm getting kind of chilly. Let me go outside and split some wood really quick. Cause that'll definitely warm me back up. I'll be more comfortable. I'll be happier. And then while I'm doing that, that's also producing more easy ways to stay warm too throughout the night. And then we can keep it really, really warm in the tent um, throughout the night and not have to say, oh, we might not have enough for the morning, so we got to hold off. As a first-time camper, I find it inspiring that people are able to go out into the woods and into these winter spaces and learn on the fly um, with mentors and other people out with them who can help show them the ropes and teach them how to put up these hot tents or to use a stove. Similarly to the experience I've been having on this first winter cramping trip I've done. I find that the next step for many people is to go out and try their hand in dog sledding or dog mushing. And so we're going to hear from Dave and Amy Freeman who have been longtime dog mushers and who have spent an extensive time out in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Oh, I mean, winter is great. I mean, I I think one of the best parts about traveling in the winter for us is that a lot of times when we're out there, we're, we're working with sled dogs as well, which is just really fun. And I mean, the, you don't have to use dogs in the winter, but we, we love using dogs. Um, so I think that's, that's a highlight for us. Um, dogs can add a bit of chaos but a lot of fun at the same time you know they're just so excited to run and so that energy is contagious and uh you just want to go <laughs> like fly with them whether you're ski drawing or, or being pulled by a full dog team um i think there's also there's a a sense of accomplishment that you feel um in the winter some type two fun. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's harder. It, it, there, there's no doubt about it that most of the time in the winter, it is harder than it is in the summer. But um, along with that comes a really cool sense of satisfaction um, that, hey, I just did. I just did this, you know, like I was just out here for a day or a week um, or a night uh, and, and it was cold and some parts of it were hard, but I had a great time and, and, you know, it feels really good. Um, it's all, there's also the silence that I think it's, it's um, there's something about the cold that I think there's often this stillness and silence that where you just really can't hear anything, you know, anything except your own breath and heartbeat that is, is pretty unique about the winter. Uh, we've also experienced some amazing travel conditions late in the winter, sort of in that transition time from winter to spring, if we get a good like snow melt and uh, 
and then it freezes up at night. You can get either sort of like crust on top of the snow, where if you're on skate skis, you can just fly. <laughs> uh, so like we know folks who have done some epic day trips, like going way farther than you would expect to go in a day, just because the, the conditions are phenomenal. And we've had that like during during the year, we had some amazing travel days with our our little three dog team pulling the toboggans and us on skis. Um, and then uh, like a little bit later, once, once all the snow has melted on the lake, but you still have this good firm ice. I mean, it can be like a skating rink out there. Uh, maybe not like the prime conditions for the wild ice that you get in the early winter, uh, but on cross country skis, you can just go so far. <laughs> nice. yeah that that's for really us, fun like during the year that was around the time we actually um transitioned to like sending the sled dogs out and we ended up camping kind of deeper into the wilderness than we expected because the travel conditions were so good so we did this transition of like getting acorn and tina to frank we met him part way like coming from our base camp on knife lake uh to where he entered um from moose lake and we did it again with like a resupply coming from like the wintergreen crew with a with the dog team you know the inuit sled dogs and uh and then that's how we got our canoe too right like we stayed well, I guess we maybe came a little closer, but we, yeah, still it, was, it like, was like, <laughs> it was like 30 miles, you know, we'd be this, do these oh, like 30 mile days back like, and forth from the campsite on Knife Lake. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was, it was pretty amazing. It was really fun. Whether it's epic, multi-night trips, handling dogs, traveling with canine companions through the wilderness, there is this tremendous joy of just keeping it simple that we've been talking about. And that's a pretty powerful thing. So I have to set time aside every week to go up there. So I take my three days. Um, and like I said, I'm mindful about it. I you know, do my same routine. I get up, I make my coffee. Um, and then I head out and I take my almost my same route every time. Um, so yeah, it's these small, you know, I probably do four or five hours on my days off. Um, sometimes I'll do a double where I'll go up in the morning and then go up again in the evening. Um, but yeah, I kind of follow my same routine. I follow my same path. Um, and right now I'm doing that about three times a week. Katie Mum, who we heard from earlier in the season, is a local wildlife photographer. She grew up visiting the area, and those memories brought her back to work at a lodge that she grew up visiting. Now, as a soaring entrepreneur, she continues to cherish her time in the wilderness. And it was just really cool to be able to leave my phone, not have cell phone service, and then just go explore. Um, so I could just leave every, leave the social media, leave everything behind. Um, and then I would just take my camera out and see what I could find. Um, and it took me a while because I didn't really know what I was looking for. Um, and the first time I spotted a moose, I was hooked totally. Couldn't um, put my camera down, was going out before work, after work. Um, and again, didn't really know what I was looking for, how to stumble upon a moose. Um, but yeah, it was like, um, looking back now, I can just see like this journey of finding myself slowly through photographing moose. Um, was It was really cool. And looking back now, I can see, you know, the transition of 
moving here and being new and um, kind of finding myself through wildlife photography. I had lived in China for a few years, about five years after college. Um, and I traveled a bunch and, you know, I had a great time doing all of that. But then I, uh, there was a point where I realized that, you know, the U.S. is also a great country too of like landscapes. And, um, and so when I came back, I was researching all these great, you know, the, the, the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail. I was looking at all these different outdoor things and places to go check out. And, um, and someone was like, well, you know, the Superior Hiking Trail you know, there's a through hike there, you know, it's a little smaller, but it's a great way to kind of dabble your way through, through hiking. And then someone was like, boundary waters, have you ever heard of the boundary waters? And I was like, I haven't, I don't know what the boundary waters is. I've gone up to Duluth, checked out Lake Superior, you know, in my college years, but I didn't really explore very much of that further Northern Minnesota. And so when I discovered boundary waters and learned a little bit about it, um, that was when I met Wendy and then had my first trip. And that was, I was just like, that's in my backyard. That's Michelle Kwan, who we heard from earlier. She's a lifelong resident of Minnesota and now a business owner in Minneapolis. Like many of us, myself included, she didn't discover the Boundary Waters until adulthood. I grew up in Minneapolis not knowing about this place for almost you know, 27 years and realizing that like you don't have to travel very far you don't have to go very far to have these epic experiences these great outdoor treasures like they're literally in our backyard um and so after going with wendy on those trail clearing trips and then i think what really set it off was that woman's trip that wendy took me on so that was my first seven day trip otherwise it'd be usually like four days or so up there like watching everybody do the trip and like how smooth and fluid it is and how much fun we have, you know, it doesn't like, again, like I said, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like work when you're out there. It's, it is vacation. You know, a lot of people like laugh at me because I work, I, I, you know, my job's at a bakery. I'm on my feet all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take some time off, go on vacation, going up to the boundary waters. And everyone's like, what? It doesn't sound relaxing. You're, you're carrying canoes and portage packs. And I'm like, it's physical, it's physical work, but also like that peace and serenity that, you know, walking through those portages and, you know, finding wild blueberries and raspberries and stopping and picking and getting to eat that. Like, you know, that's, it's very comforting. It's very rewarding. And, you know, and then once I did those winter trips, and seeing the boundary waters in a completely different, you know, scenery. Like I, like I said, I've, we've, I've gone through that Tuscarora Portage and that loop um, for a winter trip and a summer trip now. And it, like seeing the two different vast of sceneries and just being like, wow, I feel like I'm in two different places, but I'm in the same place just in different times of year. Just, you know, it's like, it, it offers so much for you that I can't, you know, how, how can you not appreciate that? How can you not like that? Like many people, I didn't realize that the Boundary Waters was accessible in the wintertime, so long as you have the right gear and the right knowledge. 
I believed that the Boundary Waters was a canoe area strictly, and that there wasn't this plethora of events and activities you could do out here in the winter. Now that we've heard all of these stories, I feel inspired by the vast opportunities you have in the Boundary Waters year-round, not just in the summer. Yeah, it's incredible, whether it's uh, portaging a canoe, or pulling a sled, or just the simplicity of traveling on skis or snowshoes, even just going for a swim off of a car campground. It, there's something for everybody, something for all levels, and there's plenty of room to learn more if you want to get in a little deeper. And that, if anything, is the lesson of the wilderness, is that it kind of is all things for all people. When you're out there, it's like everything is still. And so you're just out there by yourself and it's calm. It's really calm. Um, and I don't know, like also this idea of being able to like be like, yeah, I'm putting myself in this crazy situation that most people would find terrifying. Um, and, you know, just like coming prepared, knowing what I'm getting myself into and then achieving this big accomplishment because it's not something that we get to surround ourselves with very much on our day-to-day -day lives. And so getting that privilege to be out there and being surrounded by that and seeing untouched land that way just, you know, brings peace to me.